Thank you, Kenzie, for reminding us about some of the things that so often we can take for granted. Right, brother? That's right. We can so often take some of those simple things and some of those simple truths and we can take them for granted and we can get so busy caught up in our lives that we forget to be grateful for grace. So thank you, Kenzie. Thank you for Greg and those that lead us in worship and you men for taking up the offerings. I hope you have a, a Bible with you this morning. If you would, please take it or turn it on or open it up to Psalm 8. We are going to be in the 8th Psalm this morning, and I hope that when you came in, hopefully you got a copy of the bulletin. Now, there's some good information about what we're doing as a church inside of it, but there's also some notes on the backside if you would like to avail yourself of that and use those as we work through God's Word this morning. And so we are going to be in Psalm 8. Last Sunday, of course, was the first Sunday of the new year, and as it being the first Sunday, um, I, I may mention that sometimes... In our humanity, we like to set goals, we like to set New Year's resolutions, we like to set and we like to take stock and to think about year 2021 and what year 2022 is going to be like. And even as we think about a new calendar or a new year or a new start or a fresh beginning, sometimes it's good for us to take stock of where we are at spiritually and where we need to be going spiritually and things that we need to be thinking about on a spiritual level. And so last Sunday, um, I, I wanted to lean in. I wanted to challenge us as a church to just ask ourselves the question, as we begin this new year, do we have our view of God right? It's main problems that I feel like we're facing as a culture and as a society and There's numerous ones, but if I was to boil it down to three primary problems that I see that are that are pressing in upon our churches and our communities, one, the first one would be that we have our view of God wrong. Secondly, we have our view of man wrong, and thirdly, we have our view of the culture wrong. And when we get a wrong view of God, it leads to it leads to a wrong view of man. And when we get a wrong view of man, it leads to a wrong view of what is the problem, what are the needs, and what are the solutions to the challenges we're facing as mankind. And so it behooves us to think: Do we have a right view? Of God, And so last week we were talking about some pitfalls, some pitfalls that can easily plague us in our pursuit of God. And in our view of God, there are some pitfalls that come. We are talking about David and, and, and there in 1 Samuel, we're talking about how these pitfalls that can come, that can get us off course. And sometimes we can be, um, we can be well-intentioned, but we can be wrong-facing. Well, I want to lean into this some more. I realize that the sermons and the messages that talk about how great you are and how good you are and how special you are and how awesome you are, those make us feel good and we leave out and we're all smiles and we're all, oh, that's so awesome. But there's also things that we need to challenge ourselves with. And my responsibility to you and to this church is not just to always tell you that you're awesome and you're the best, but it's also to challenge us for us to grow in our understanding of God and our understanding of what God wants for our lives. And so I want to continue to lean into this idea of our view of God. I think to all, all too often it's easy for you and I just to assume that our view of God is correct and we go on and we misunderstand, we misidentify how easy it is for our view of God to become skewed and then how easy it is for that to then compromise everything else. So here in Psalm 8, David is writing. 
Now, David was not a perfect man. David was not a perfect king. David was not a perfect model. But yet the Bible still refers to David as being a man after God's own heart. We have from the Psalms, we have a, a variety of David showing his heart, showing his devotion, showing his commitment to God. Through the Old Testament, we have the example of David and pursuing after God. And you have the stories of, of David and Goliath. And you have the stories of him being willing to uh, suffer through the persecution and through the, uh, the, the hostility of Saul why he was wanting to be faithful to the Lord. You have examples out of David of a man that at times, most times, his pursuit and his view of God is as it should be. And here in Psalm 8, David is writing, and it says there, if you have the title there in your Bible, it says to the choir master, he is writing a song. He is writing a psalm, a song or a psalm of remembrance, and he is writing to them as a testimony of his own heart. And there's some examples in this psalm that I want to put before you and to challenge you to say, is this you? And even take another step further back and to ask us corporately, is this us? Because my fear is in the pace of life and the onslaught of the distractions of life and with so many other voices in this world trying to compete for our attention and trying to compete for our minds and trying to compete with telling us what is right and what isn't right, what is true and what isn't true, what is honorable and what is not honorable, in the midst of all the confusion of saying what is up and what is down, sometimes we need to peel back the busyness of life and to peel back the weariness of life and just to ask ourselves, is my view of God right? Because church, if our view of God is not as it should be, then everything else doesn't matter. Because everything is hinged upon our view of God. So here in this psalm, David is going to talk about three different personalities. He's going to talk about three different subjects, and he's going to talk about their place. I'm just going to give them to you. See there in your notes, he's going to talk about God's place. He's going to talk about man's place, and then he's going to talk about his place. He's going to say, I want you to see how these two, primarily God and mankind, but God, mankind, and David, he's going to say these are how these relate to one another, and these are how God has designed these to interact with one another. And he gives us a roadmap, I think, for us to come and look at to say, okay, is that the sentiment of our heart or where God is? Is that the understanding of our mind where man is? And is that the testimony of our lives where we are? So here in Psalm 8, in verse 1, listen to what David writes. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Then in verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now the sentence goes on, but the, the, the thought kind of shifts. And so right here at this very beginning... David wants to remind us of God's place. Now, he is not talking about a place as far as a position. He is not talking about a place as far as a location. He's not talking about God as far as saying this is God's address. He's talking about God's place in creation, God's place in humanity, God's place in what we know to exist. He says, oh Lord, our Lord. That's the proper name for God, the, the Hebrew term Yahweh for God. He says, how majestic is your name? The, the word majestic is just the idea of how magnificent, how prominent, how important, how how 
other than how holy, how wonderful, how gracious, all the good things that you can imagine, all the wonderful things that you can use to describe God, that is what is bound up in this idea of majestic. And he says, you have set your glory above the heavens. Now, once again, he's not talking about position. He's talking about prominence. He is saying that, God, you are above everything. He is above creation. There is not anything that is above God. Just imagine with me for a moment. You go outside and you look upon the horizon. And upon the horizon, everything that is above the horizon, as far as you can think, all the way back to the other horizon, everything is sky. There is not a place that you can look at above the horizon that you don't see the sky. The atmosphere, whatever you want it to be, everything, everything is consumed with the sky. The writer here, David, is saying that that is what God is. God is above everything. There is not a place that you're going to look to in this world that God is not there. It's not necessarily about his position. It's about his prominence. It's about the fact that God is above his creation. And God is known by his creation. That's Romans chapter 1 says, listen, you see God everywhere you look. God has revealed himself through his creation. David is coming in in the psalm and he's wanting to remind us that in the midst of the sicknesses, we have a lot of people in this church that are out right now because they're sick. Some with a diagnosis and not without, some without a diagnosis. And it seemed like it has just been running through this community and it makes one end and then it just comes right back and makes another round and it keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And it's one of those things that he says, oh yeah, you're in the midst of all of this confusion when it comes to their health. You're in the midst of all this confusion when it comes to politics. You're in the midst of all this confusion when it comes to our culture and our society. You're in the midst of all this confusion of what is right and what is wrong and identity and all of these other things that plague our new cycle. He wants to remind them, do not forget who God is. God is not a subject in school. God is not a person to pray for that is obligated to please you. God is above everything. He says you have set your glory above the heavens. There's not a place that God is not. Sometimes we come to church and we think, well, I'm going to come to church. That's where God is. Oh, God's at church. God's also at your house. God's also in your car. God's also watching your phone. God also hears your words. God also sees what you look at on the screen and then on the computer. God God is in your private conversations. God is right there in your private personal sin. God is everywhere. And David wants to remind himself. David wants to remind the reader. David wants to remind you and I of who God is. So often we take God for granted. We take God flippantly. We take God and we just assume that he is always going to be there or we can come to him in whichever way we want. And David wants to remind us of God's place. Not only is he above creation, he is known by creation, but then don't miss it. He is sovereign over all he has created. Look back up there in verse 3. It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. We don't have to ask ourselves the question, how did all of this stuff get here? We know how all of this stuff got here. God put it there. Anybody familiar with the James Webb Telescope? 
It's been in the news this last week. It was deployed Christmas Eve. It was sent into outer space just this last week. They finally deployed the last of the solar panels and the last of the camera array, and it's going to be getting itself in position and fine-tuning itself. The idea is that most of your telescopes in outer space and, of course, on land, they view the world and they view the outer space through the visible light. So they came up with this idea. They spent $10 billion on this satellite, and they have created a satellite that cannot see just visible light, but it sees infrared. And the idea, the scientific explanation is, is that you can see infrared, and you can see older infrared as far as in the age of light, and you can see farther when it comes to the infrared. So they developed this telescope. They've deployed it into the outer space. It's currently in the midst of fine-tuning itself to get set up. And according to the scientists, they will now be able to perceive the infrared light that will then give them understanding and insight into how the world was 200 million years after the Big Bang. When is that? And then they said later in the article, and they said, what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to look back in time and to be able to see the origins and the evolution of our stars and our planets and the universe, and we will finally be able to explain how the universe came into existence. Or, you can open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet we are living in a day and age when we think that science is going to explain to us how this came to exist. We're going to think that science is going to tell us how these things came. We think that science is going to explain the origin of the universe. David wants to come in here in Psalm 8 and he wants to remind us that God is sovereign over everything. You want to know how this got here? You want to know how you got here? You want to know how all of these things came into existence? God put it there. Which means that if we have a creator, then that means that creator has a plan and a purpose for what we do with our lives. And yet so often we start to think that we're an accident, or we start to think that we're autonomous, or we start to think that we have the control of our own lives. And so David begins by explaining to us, David wants to remind us, to remember when you begin with thinking about your life and who you are, remember who God is, because that will inform what you do. So he goes on there. In verse 4, he talks about God's place, but then he talks about man's place. <clears throat> if we're going to come to recognize who God is, and if we're going to seek to challenge ourselves and ask ourselves about do we have a right view of God, and do we have a right picture of God's place in our lives, it matters about what we think about ourselves. Our view of ourselves is often skewed. We forget who man is and what man's place is. So he tells us there in verse 4. He continues the sentence that he started back in verse 3, but he makes this statement. He said, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Now, what is he talking about the son of man? He is just talking about the descendants that have come. The whole genealogy of man. He is saying, hey, what is so special about man that God has to recognize man? Isn't it in our humanity that we start to think that we're better than we are? But really, in, in, in the whole scheme of things, what are we? Who are we? How important are we really? The average span of the human being this now is less than 80 years old. <clears throat> so you have a world that has been in existence, I believe, for around 6,000 years. 
We have about 80 years on this life to do the contribution to the living, to play our part in this life. How important are we really? I realize that in your life right now, you are very important to yourself. But in the whole scheme of things, in the 6,000 years of things, in the whole creation of things, in the whole scheme, everything that is going on, how important are we really? Sometimes we need to recognize that I'm not as big as I think I am. I'm not as important as I want to be. Sometimes I need to realize that I'm nothing apart from God. You go up there in the pastor's study and on the wall you'll see a picture taken up there on Adam Carter's family's place before I even knew Adam and his family. And it's just a fence post and it's top of the fence post there's a turtle. And it just reminds me of the old adage, the time old adage that when you see a turtle on the fence post, you know that it didn't get there by itself. And I have that picture on the wall in the frame because I want to remind myself that there is nothing that I have accomplished. There is nothing that I have done. There is nothing that I am and there is nothing that I will be that is anything of any value and of any worth to anybody apart from God. And yet we're living in a day in a society that is all about me. You pay attention to me. You listen to me. I want your attention. It's all about my followers. It's all about my reposts. It's all about my likes. It's all about my retweets. It's all about me landing on the For You page. It's all about my swipe rights. It's all about me, 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 me. And we're raising an entire generation of children that they are so self-absorbed when you don't give them the proper attention, they have a meltdown because they have no concept what it's like to be selfless which is why we have a whole generation of parents that are being more obedient to their children than the children being obedient to the parents. And we have this concept of man losing his place in creation. So David comes in and he reminds himself, he reminds the reader, what are you that God is mindful of you? What are you that God cares for you? In other words, The reminder that David is giving us is that we are known by God. When was the last time you sat back and you thought about the concept that God knows you? Of all the billion of people on this world right now, of all the billion of people that have lived and died upon this world right now, upon the billions and trillions and gazillions and bajillions, whatever the next one is, And of all the things that God has going on in his majesty, his powerfulness, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, all these things, the attributes that describe God and everything that God has going on. And yet God knows you. because of your money, not because of your brilliant personality, not because of your good looks, not because of your success in life, not because of your profession, not because of your last name, not because of your address, but God knows you. Why does God know you? Not only because that he's created you, but God has positioned you. 
If you look there at verse five, he says, yet, David continues to write, and he says, yet, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and ground him with glory and honor. David's saying, it's not just a matter that you have created me. It's not just a matter that I exist. It's a matter that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. God has positioned you for something special that God has in plan for you. When you think about it, all through scripture, we see that God has created order. What does man create? Dysfunction. Oh no, man has their own solution. Tell me how man has solved racism. Tell me how man has solved hate. Tell me how man has solved the divisions among people. Tell me how man has ever created order. He has not. One stage of disorder to another. And so David comes in and he wants to remind the reader. He wants to remind us that God has positioned you. Man's place. We are under the authority of God. Not only are we under the authority of God, but then David goes on to remind us that we have been given authority under God. He looked there at verse 6 and he says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. David is reminding the reader. He is reminding himself. He is reminding all of us. Do not forget God's place, but do not forget your place. Now this goes two ways. He is saying that we are not the same as a fish. We are not the same as a bird. We are not the same as a fox. We are not the same as a cat, a mouse, or anything else. We are created in the image of God. You have people today in this world that they say, oh no, we need to support the ethical treatment of animals. I do think that we have dominion and stewardship over the things that God has given us. But that doesn't mean that your pet dog is on equal standing in the eyes of God with you. In fact, it tells us there in Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam, (coughs) excuse me, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden and said, I have given you all of the plants and the fruits for your consumption. Noah and his family get off the ark in Genesis chapter 9, and God says, okay, I'm adding to it. Now I have given you everything that moves for your consumption. You have all the plants, you have all the animals, everything is under your dominion. And then you go to Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus comes to his followers and says, I have now given you more responsibility. I am giving you more authority. Now you are going to be the agents for the kingdom of God going and telling people how they can be right with this God. So he reminds them of the authority they have. He reminds them the responsibility they have. So many times we're walking through this life and we have a misunderstanding of who we are. David Barton has been speaking on this prolifically lately when it comes to (coughs) gender identity, when it comes to masculinity and femininity, when it comes to all the things that seem to ail our society and our community. He keeps going on and drumming the drum saying we are misunderstanding who we are. We have a misunderstanding of who we are in the eyes of God. Not only have we gotten our view of God wrong, but we have the view of ourselves wrong. We start to think that we can do what we want and God will have to put up with us. We start to think that we decide our own fate. We start to think that we decide our own truth. We think that we decide what is right or wrong for us. We have a misunderstanding of who we are and what is our place. And so David reminds us, 
David reminds us not just of who God is, but then who we are in this God. He reminds us God has created us, God has positioned us, and God has a plan and a purpose for our life. The problem is, is the man all too often throughout the pages of history has said, I don't want to do it God's way, I want to do it my way. And that's the essence of what sin is. It's beings that, being, that have been created by God coming to this creator God and saying, we know that you made us, but we're going to do what we want and not what you tell us. And you say, oh, Spence, it really can't be that bad. Let me read for you a, fir- a few verses out of Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 16, many of you will know that's been in Mo's classroom if you haven't already forgotten, but there's the, the seven bowls of wrath that come. And it's the judgment that God is pouring out upon the earth in a way of purification, in a way of bringing, trying to get the people's attention. This is during the years of tribulation. My belief is that the church is not going to be there during this time. It's all the people that rebelled and turned against God. And this is the wrath and the judgment of God coming upon an earth. But it shows us just the depths of the depravity that we can stoop to. In chapter 16, you have the seven bowls being poured out upon the earth. It says in verse 2, the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the earth. And then it goes on and on and on. Then you get down to verse 8, and it says the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the earth. And then it gives an explanation of what happened. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 10 is the same thing. The fifth angel poured out his bowl. Verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. Then you get down to verse 21, and the seventh angel, it's progressed to the point the seventh angel is poured out his bowl, People have died. Unspeakable, unimaginable circumstances and environments and conditions have plagued the people. In fact, at one point it says that in verse 21 of chapter 16, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. People are fleeing from the wrath of God, and rocks, 100 pound rocks, are landing upon people. God trying to get man's attention to say, you need to know that God's judgment is real. Notice what it says in verse 21. And they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. They cursed God. Let us not fall into the trap thinking that our heart can't become so hardened that we can repel and spur the conviction of God. Psalm 8, David is reminding them of their place. But their place is only true as long as they recognize their place before God. And brothers and sisters, I'm concerned and I am worried that we are in a day and age that we have become so calloused in our humanity. We have become so self-propped up in our carnality. We have become so arrogant in our sinfulness. 
that we have stopped listening to the chastening of the Lord. We have stopped listening to the spurring of the Spirit. We have stopped listening to the Word of God to say that is not right. That is sin. That is not correct. You shouldn't do such a thing. That is not to be done. And we have started compromising with the world and started compromising the Word of God. And we wonder why we are in such a mess that we're in because we got our view of God wrong and it led to a wrong view of man. So he says, <clears throat> back in Psalm 8, he reminds them of God's place. He reminds them of man's place. But then, verse 9, he comes back to remind the reader of his place. I think David is speaking in the first person here. I think David wants to remind them, okay, this is where man's at. This is where humanity's at. Now let me take a moment to tell you where I'm at. And you may look at verse 9 and he just says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you may say, Spence, he's already said that. It's just a repetition of verse 1. And yes, it is just a repetition of verse 1. But I think there's more there than just a repetition of verse 1. He is not just ending in the same way that he began. What he's doing is he's saying, after all that I've said about God and after all that I've said about Humanity in the eyes of God and in the position of God, I want you to know this is where I am. And he makes a declaration. And listen to his declaration. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, Spence, how is that a declaration? What is he saying about God? He is saying not that you're my homeboy, not that you're the man upstairs, not that you're somebody that owes me an explanation, not that you're somebody that I negotiate with, not that you're somebody that, that owes me a good life and an easy life, not somebody that I can control, not somebody that I can define, not somebody that I can put in a box, not somebody that I then tell people what God is like and what God is going to be to me. He says, you are Yahweh. The name that the Hebrews wouldn't even speak aloud. It was the proper name of God. He is recognizing who God is rightly. David is saying, I know who this God is. I have his name correctly. Years ago, many pounds ago, I found myself at Fort Littlewood, Missouri, and I was going through my initial basic training in the Army. And as the Army does, they wake you up before it's even daylight, and they take you out there, and they make you run and do push-ups and sit-ups, and they have this idea that you're better fit to be a soldier if you're better physically fit. And so they have you out there, and it's dark. And all the soldiers are running around. we got this little reflective belt, if you will, that runs around, and, and we're running back and forth, and we're not the only ones. I mean, there's thousands of people on this insulation that are, that are running around and doing all these things. And, and the drill sergeants all had these reflective vests on, and it would say, Drill Sergeant Adams. Well, you couldn't hardly see the writing. You just knew the reflective vest meant Drill Sergeant. And after you'd been there for a certain period of time, you knew the voices, you knew the names, you knew who was who on the ladder of authority. Well, unbeknownst be known to us, and they didn't tell us this, but you have reservists that are drill sergeants. So during the course of the summer, these reserve drill sergeants would cycle in for their two weeks in the summer. And so these new drill sergeants would show up and as long as it was daylight, and as long as you knew that they were a drill sergeant, no big deal. A new face, a new name, same title, same position of authority, we move on. We're out there one morning doing our physical fitness, and here comes a male. He has the 
vest on. He has the symbol of authority, and he makes a statement to me or a command to me, and I say, yes, drill sergeant. And he turned and looked at me. He said, what did you say? And I did my best, Gomer Pyle, yes, drill sergeant. And here they came, three or four of them. They all swarmed on me. Why? Because he was not a drill sergeant. He was the first sergeant. Now, he didn't walk around with a title saying, I'm the new acting first sergeant. He was a reservist, a first sergeant, had just shown up the night before, hadn't introduced himself. He didn't say this is who I was. It really small letters. It didn't say DS such and such. It said 1S such and such. How was I supposed to know? But the problem was is I got his name wrong and I paid the price. Brothers and sisters, you may have a lot of ideas about God. You may have a lot of concepts about who you think God is, but I'm going to tell you there is only one right view of God, and that is that he is your creator. He is your sustainer. He is the source of your grace. He is the source of truth. He is the source of our hope and our help. He is the source of love. He is the source of what we have. He holds our eternity in our hand, and we do not have the right or the privilege or the entitlement to come and to tell God this is who you are. God has already defined himself. He has already revealed himself and he has already defined himself to us it is not up for our interpretation it is a matter of our submission so David says oh Lord our Lord and then he goes on he says how majestic is your name not only does David know God rightly but he knows God truly you can have a lot of information that is false Just because you have facts that you think are facts and just because you have figures that you think are figures does not mean that they are true. I saw a billboard one time that it said 26.7% of statistics are made up. And sometimes when it comes to the things of God, you have so many people in this world that start to think, well, just because so-and-so said it, that must mean it's true. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity today. We have an opportunity like we've never had in the time of mankind. We have God's Word more available to us than we ever have. You can have an app on your phone that not only has a Bible in multiple translations, a Bible in multiple languages. You can go back to the original languages. You can go back to the commentaries. You can go back to the lexicons. You can go back to the strong concordances. You have never, ever, ever in the, crea- in the t- history of time had more accessibility to God's Word. We have no excuse not to know God rightly, and to know God truly. And so David comes in and says, you know what, even in my shepherding, even in my kinging, kinglingling, whatever that word is, even in my position of life, I can know God rightly, and I can know God truly. And then, not just this last one, but he can know God humbly. He says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, not how majestic is my name. Remember, this is the same king that unified the, the southern tribes and the northern tribes. This is the same guy that had killed Goliath. This is the same guy that defeated the Philistines. This is the same guy that was the leader of the armies that killed the 10,000. I mean, this is David, hero of the Old Testament. And he's not saying how majestic is my name. He is saying how majestic is your name. David wants to make a declaration to everybody of where his place is. He's not, I'm David the king. It's not, I'm David, the father of Solomon, the wisest man that had 
with, that had ever lived, has ever lived. It's not that I am the father of Solomon, the richest man that ever has been. It's not that I am the person that built this palace. I'm not the person that did this. I'm not the person that did that. He's not about him. It's not about his lineage. It's not about his accomplishments. It's about his God. So he says, I know God rightly. I know God truly. I know God humbly. So let me ask you, where is your place? Where is your place? David has shown us God's place. He's shown us man's place. David has shown us his place. But where is your place? Let me just give you a couple of several thoughts here, and then we'll go home. First thought is this. God does not share. God does not share. I want, I want to challenge us to think about the lives we're living today. I want to challenge us to think about how we live 2021. I want to challenge us to think about how we're going to live 2022. I want to challenge us to think about our view of God, our view of ourselves, our view of the world around us. I want to challenge us to think about when it comes to our life, are we coming to God and saying, God, you have to share? Because the reality is that God doesn't share. God doesn't share priorities. God doesn't share time. God does not share resources. We are all mastered by something or someone. And the New Testament reminds us that you cannot serve God and money. Either you'll serve one or you'll serve the other. But you cannot serve both at the same time. I think by extension, we can apply that to the world around us. You cannot serve man and God. You will either serve one or you'll serve the other. You cannot serve God and yourself. You will serve one or you will serve the other. You cannot serve man's opinions and man's applause and man's approval and man's satisfaction. Either you will serve one or you will serve the other. And brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, what is my place because God doesn't share but then the good news God is patient God is patient but just first Peter reminds us that God is patient and he's giving us more time he's giving creation more time for the opportunity for us to repent and turn back to him <clears throat> but let us not mistake God giving time for God giving a pass. The sin, the rank rebellion against God, the heretical teachings that are out there, the man worship that is at an all-time level in this world. God is not looking at it and saying, well, maybe I should change my perspective. Maybe I should change my attitude. Maybe I should change my heart. Maybe I should change my word. God is not giving a pass. God is just giving us time to return back to him because God does not share, but God is patient, but just. And here is the thing that I think we all should walk out of the door remembering as we go throughout our day and our week. God knows knows the truth. So you don't have to come in here and say, oh, Spence, you know what? I, I'm doing pretty good. I, I've got it mostly figured out. Or, or you know what, Spence? I need to try better. I need to try harder. God knows the truth. God knows the condition of your heart. God knows. Not only should that terrify us, but that should challenge us. Because I can walk in here and I can say my view of God is where it should be and God knows whether it is or not. I can say that I know God truly and I know God rightly and I know God humbly, but God knows whether I do or not. 
And you know, I don't want us to be consumed this upcoming year. I don't want us to be consumed with going through the motions and putting on the show and dancing the dance and juggling the balls and doing all the things and think that we can go through performance and we can go through the activities and we can go through the actions and everybody doesn't, isn't the wiser. Because God knows. My prayer, my desire for all of us in this room, even for you that are watching online or hearing my voice, be another format or medium, my desire is not that we would look the part, but that God would see our hearts living the part. I think so easy it is for young people in school to put on the show, to put on the movement, to be seen and you think that as long as nobody sees the condition of your heart and everybody sees the movements of your hand, you think that is sufficient. God knows. Adults, the same thing for us. Well, I go to church. I sit down. I stand up. I know the parts. Oh, that must be sufficient. God knows. And my hope and my prayer is that as we look at this upcoming year ahead of us, that we will know who God is to us. So where's your place? Where is your place this morning? Is God in his right place? Is your view of man in its right place? Are you in your right place today? Would you bow your heads with me?